Amen. In the 1820s, a guy named Alex de Tocqueville, I think he said his name correctly, from France, he wanted to see what was happening in the United States of America that made it such a great country. So he came over here and he spent a lot of time here seeing what made this place so great. When he had finished his tour, he wrote a lot of things in a very thick book uh, called Democracy in America, but to, to give you a summation of what he stated, and these are his direct writings, these are quotes. Here's what he wrote. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forest, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. In the early years of our country, she was a righteous people. Would it be fair to say that she is no longer good as she once was? Our morals are upside down. What is called progression is actually regression. Sex before marriage is considered progressive. Marriage to persons of the same gender is considered progressive. Leaving your spouse for no good reason is considered progressive. Leaving your children with your grandparents for them to raise is progressive. Does that sound progressive to you? This is not progression, this is regression. If the standard is the Bible, then we have regressed, not progressed. We have a sickness, a disease in our country that is killing us. And that sickness is sin. We are accepting that which is immoral rather than blessing those and touting those and screaming yes for those who are living moral lives. We are a country that needs to come back to the Lord. And the question is, what is the antidote to this sickness? What will make it possible for us to truly come back to the Lord? Whose responsibility is it? Our French fellow pointed it out. It's the church's responsibility. It is the church's responsibility. When the church is alive in the power and work of the Holy Spirit, revival breaks out. And many a country has come back to Jesus because churches began to pray for revival to break out. This morning, I want you to think with me about what God told us, not about what Rick said, not about what somebody else said, but rather what God said a people could do when they got far from God to be back in God's good graces. It comes in 38 words. It comes in one verse of Scripture. You guys bring that up on the screen. It comes in one verse of Scripture that tells us 38 words in the Bible tell us precisely what we must do. Let me share that with you. If my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people, the church, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want to break that down this morning. I want to dissect that so that we understand it vividly. Because church, I believe revival can break out at Eastwood Baptist Church. But we've got to begin doing the things that are mentioned right here. First of all, if there's a cause and effect here, God says, and God cannot lie because he's perfect. He's perfectly moral. He cannot tell a lie. He must keep his promises. And this is one of his promises. He says if, if, there's cause and effect. So, for instance, if you jump in a lake, you're going to get wet. If you stick your finger in a light socket, you're going to get shocked. If you watch Dana lead worship long enough, you'll learn to dance. (laughs) And if you listen to too many of my sermons, you'll pray a lot harder for your new pastor to come. There's cause and effect. God is saying, I will do my part if you will first do your part. But what is our part? What does he say first? He says, humble ourselves. Will we humble ourselves? Let me see if I can give a little more elaboration on that so we can understand it even better. When we look at that term, and it's the language that we're looking at, would be Hebrew there, what we find out is this. It means to come to a point that you have lost the war and you have bowed down before the king who has conquered a people and say, I am yours. In wrestling terms, it would be when you, uh, you you, you finally say, I give up. You may not realize this, but in some wrestling circles from decades and years and maybe even thousands of years ago, when someone was uh, giving up the, the fight because they were pinned and they were in pain, and you know, we talk about tapping out now, they would actually scream, humbled, which means I can't win, you've won. I'm humbled. I would suggest that the first thing we need to begin praying for is that kind of humility. That we are lost in our own sense of we can make it on our own so we don't feel a need to be humbled. My bills are paid. I drive a decent car. My kids get to go to camp. We're going to Disney World at some point. Everything's good for me. But please hear this, folks. I'm not talking about your world. I'm talking about the world. If, we can, if our country continues on the same, in the same trajectory downward, Morally, God is going to judge us. Not only that, if we continue in the same trajectory morally, downward, in 15 years, when your kids go to school, they're going to be told that right is wrong and wrong is right. The society is going to totally embrace the things that you're already concerned about. It's going to be, I told my son when he was uh, in his ordination service, they allowed me to say a few words in his ordination service, he's a pastor. And I said this to him, I said, son, here's what I want you to know. If our country continues in the direction that she's going, someday if you preach the full word of God, you'll go to jail for it. And I'm asking you to be that that brave, that you'd be willing to go to jail for the word of God. We continue in the same direction, folks, and your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren may not be able to hear the truth of God's word about what sin is, which means if they don't know what sin is, they don't know what to repent from. If they don't know what to repent of, they can't come to Jesus. 
humble ourselves and then pray. Nehemiah found himself in an interesting situation. He realized that the walls in Jerusalem, the holy city, were no longer standing. Scripture says that he mourned and he wept and he prayed for days because his hurt was so deep for that particular necessity in that land. I wonder if we're crying out like that. That term in Old Testament times, when they talk about praying, it wasn't we bowed our heads and passively said something to God. They were on their faces weeping and crying out to God, realizing only He could do what only He could do. It was a deep, deep pain and passion and hurt. I've seen it on a few occasions. I will not forget going to the hospital at Vanderbilt Hospital and going into the room of a lady whose three-year-old son was dying. And I was going to be very pastoral, and I walked in and said, after a conversation with her before I left, I said, would you like to pray? And before I could say another word, she fell on her face on that floor, weeping and crying out to God, please save my son. You're the only one who can save my son, God. Please do what only you can do. When we are humbled, when we've tapped out of the fight, when we've realized it's on God and not on us, we give up, we'll pray like that. We'll pray like that because we know God must be the one that can bring us back into his good graces. You see, Solomon wrote these words in a situation much like we're in today. He had about finished the temple. The celebration was going to take place. You would think it would have been just this time of amazing celebration that God would have said, job well done, good deed. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. Your dad David set this thing up and you finished the, G you finished the deal great deal but instead in the middle of this thing God says to him listen your people are going to fall away from me and I love them so much that I'm going to give you 38 words that will bring them back into my good graces humble themselves pray and seek my face that means to seek his presence let me say that again it means to seek his presence, to long to be in His presence. Let me ask you a question. On a daily basis, how often do you literally set aside time to be in the presence of God? Now let me ask you another question, a very pressing question. How much time each day do you set aside either purposefully or just randomly to be in the presence of a TV show or on the internet or engaged in something that you love to play, do like golf or fishing or needlework. You realize that if we're not careful, we walk away from God without even realizing it simply because we're living in the midst of the status quo. It's impossible to be a full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ, living the life he made us to live if we live in the middle of the status quo. Having preached sermons like this in other locations, every once in a while somebody comes up to me and says, you know what it sounds to me like you expect and maybe God expects for me to be a fanatic. 
And might I just be honest with you and say this? If you're going to be a biblical follower of Jesus Christ in today's world, you will be considered a fanatic. But you'll also stand before God someday and he'll look in your eyes and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Let me tell you what that means. It means to turn around. You've you've been with Christ. You've walked away, but you're willing to come back to him. You've walked away, but you're willing to come back to him. I've shared with you, and let me just share it once again. I'll never forget the moment of my coming to Jesus Christ. I'm a Baptist pastor's kid, went off to college, had been at a fraternity party. As I've said to you before, I was not a member of a fraternity. No one would want me in their fraternity. I didn't have the grades to get in nor the money, but they liked to see me soused so they could get a good laugh because I was pretty funny, evidently. I come back from a party. I'm in my room. And I couldn't describe exactly what happened. I just know this. The Holy Spirit showed up in some way that was beyond my comprehension. And I was instantly, instantly sober. I left that room and ran down the hallway to my best friend's room and said, i got to tell you what happened to me. It's got to happen to you. you got to accept Jesus, Paul. He looked at me like I was crazy. I had gone off to Moorhead State University for one reason. It was a good reason. Because I was a janitor in a men's dormitory at University of Louisville, and that's the dirtiest place on planet Earth. <laughs> My friend had called me and he said, I've got a dance band here. Would you like to come? You can come to this college. Uh, you can be, take classes the first semester and flunk every one of them. Not a problem. I, I'm gifted. I could do that. <laughs> They'll put you on probation. And you'll have a whole nother semester. And your dad makes so little money, they'll pay for the whole thing. This sounded like a good government agency to me. I went off there to do one thing. I was going to sing in his dance band on weekends and be this guy. But the minute Jesus transformed me, my whole world changed. I started talking to people about Jesus. I started praying for God to work miracles. I started realizing the need to care for the poor and the hurting. I did all that while I was in my freshman year of college. And then I got involved in a status quo church. And I got involved in their programs. I got involved in their worship services. I got involved in all the things that they said to do. I no longer had time to be out sharing Jesus Christ or helping the poor or I became a good old status quo Christian. My brothers and sisters, I believe this is the kind of church where you can go beyond that. I want to say to you that if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that is, you're going the wrong direction, turn around and walk back toward the cross, that the man on the cross, Jesus Christ, will make your life more fulfilling than you've ever known it to be. But the other thing he'll do is he'll bring revival to Eastwood Baptist Church. The last thing he says is to turn from your wicked ways. As I've mentioned, that's turning around and coming back. That's saying I'll walk away from sin and pain and that I'm, that's created through the consequences of my sin. I'm so in pain, Lord, that I will allow you to be God and I'll no longer try to be my own God. You see, for most of us, our problem is this. We're our own idol. We don't mean to, but we worship ourselves. Because you see who it is you worship, you will also serve. 
We have a tendency to serve ourselves before we serve anyone else. Have you ever thought of what it might mean to say, God, I'm totally and completely yours? No matter what I read in the Bible, I'm going to be about that. Have you ever imagined what that would be like? To just say, what's in your word? You see, somebody uh, once asked me, Rick, you talk about sometimes about churches being in the midst of the status quo. You would help us a lot if you could give us the standard. Because if we don't know what it's supposed to look like, how can we become that? That's a fair question. I do believe that's a very fair question. So let me tell you what that standard is. It's the book of Acts. It's seeing people healed miraculously. It's seeing addicts set free instantaneously. It's realizing and watching folks who never in their lives had peace in their hearts find Jesus and have peace in their hearts. It's experiencing when we come together, not only celebration, but anticipation. We celebrate so well in our churches, but we don't anticipate that God might do something outrageous and extraordinary. It's coming with that kind of expectation that perhaps today the town drunk will come forward and be set free. That my son or my grandson who's addicted will hear the message of Jesus Christ, receive the gospel, and be set free. It's the realization that there's somebody in this room that's addicted to pornography or addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol. It's coming and, and, and desperately crying out to God like that lady did in that room about her son. I know you can do this, God. I'm begging you to do this because I will give you glory if you do that. It's people coming into this room and realizing God's sending me to be a missionary in Iran or Iraq where it's so dangerous, but God's calling me and I will proudly go serve him there because that is what he's called me to do. It's being the church, not just doing church. Would you like to be that kind of church? Would you like to come into this place expecting God to do something extraordinary? I believe that that's what God wants all churches to be. We're actually taking steps here at Eastwood Baptist Church so that we can bring ourselves to a place in God's presence as a community of believers, not as, just as individuals, so that he can be doing that kind of work amongst us. The first thing a body of believers needs to do is consider consecrating themselves, that is purifying themselves so that they can be more deeply into the presence of God. I've mentioned to you that August 18th, Claude King is here. Let me tell you something that the Lord led me to this week. I have been praying and thinking about this for a long time and just decided we needed to pull the trigger on this one. On August the 11th, um, I will be preaching, as we've been on the South Campus, we'll be talking about fasting and prayer. Uh, fasting and prayer is a practice that is life-transforming. It's an amazing experience because you separate yourself from those things of the world and give yourself fully to God for a period of time, and in your hunger, you're reminded that God is your sustenance. And so we'll be fasting for eight days, uh, during uh, from a, the 11th to the 18th, you'll have a devotional guide. Every person in the church will receive one. You'll be fasting and praying, and you'll also be going each day with those devotions. They'll give you direction on what to pray for and what to think about. Then on the 18th, all the folks from the south campus will join us on the east campus. We're going to do one service that Sunday. 
As I was reading scripture, I just kept coming back to every time that there was consecration of a people group in scripture, they all came from everywhere to one location. And they came on their knees before the Lord to allow him to speak to them and for them to speak to him. So on the 18th, we're all going to come together. You'll hear more about this times and all that kind of thing, but I want you to realize that this is preparation for the possibility of someday God bringing revival to Eastwood Baptist Church. I um, believe deeply that God called me, I shared this with you last week, to begin praying for revival. Now I want to say something to you. Many instances, there were three and four years of prayer before God brought revival. And that's just fine, but I'm going to lead you down a path that God's taken me down on your behalf as I'm with you. Brothers and sisters, would you love to be a church where people are miraculously transformed emotionally, spiritually, and physically? Would you love to be a church when you came together, you just waited for the invitation because God might do something amazing? Would you love to be a church where when you got into your Sunday school classes and small groups, you didn't say, let's share a prayer request. You said, let's really pray. And you cried out to God to do things that were beyond your comprehension. Would you love to be a church where when people talked about Eastwood Baptist Church, what they said was, God is working at Eastwood Baptist Church. Would you love to be that church? That's what we're beginning to pray for for a revival to break out. We cannot continue to be the status quo church and see God do the things that only God can do. My brother-in-law is a good old Baptist boy. They attended a good old Baptist church. One Sunday morning as they were driving home, he looked at his wife and he said, I'm not going back. He was a deacon. I wanted to tell you he was the pastor because that made the story so much better. <laughs> he was a deacon. He said, I'm not going back. And she said, you're not going back where? He said, I'm not going back to that church. I'm not going to church anymore. And she said, well, well, what do you mean you're not going to church anymore? He said, I'm not going to church anymore. And she said, why wouldn't you go to church? And he said, because that's not a church. She said, yeah, that's a, that's a church. He, his theology was a little bent at that point. She said, why aren't you going back to church? And he said, because I've been reading the book of Acts. That's a church. When you find a group of people that are experiencing what happened in the book of Acts, then I'll go back to church. They did find that church on an ongoing basis. Miraculous things are happening in people's lives. Children and grandchildren are prayed into the kingdom. Addicts are set free. When you're with those people, there's joy beyond comprehension because... They're far beyond status quo. They're living in the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. And that is the most powerful experience any church can experience. I'm going to ask you to do something with me this morning. If you'd like to see Eastwood Baptist Church become that church, nothing, to set, nothing set aside for you to, through music. If you want to see Eastwood Baptist Church, I want you to stand right now and join me at this altar. We're going to begin praying for revival at Eastwood Baptist Church. If you want to experience that in this church, come right now. Come down from the balcony. We'll give plenty of time. If you want to see Eastwood Baptist Church be that kind of church where God is doing amazing things and you're experiencing revival, come right down, right now. Come on. 
You want to see God work in amazing ways? Let's fall before him on our faces and pray for that. Yes. I'm praying that God will bring revival to Eastwood Baptist Church, then to Bowling Green, then to Kentucky, then to our nation. Yes, thank you, church. Thank you. Yes. If you can't kneel, that's fine.